a great point to start with is that the proper response to the Lord and His dealings with us is to set our heart to always praise Him. David's psalm here is his effort to share his heartfelt confidence in God. Hello and welcome to the Netcast Podcast, where you will find Bible studies that follow an in-depth approach to sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. I am your host, Mark Hatfield, and my prayer is that you are encouraged by these lessons from the Word of God. Thank you for listening to today's message. Hello and welcome back to the Netcast Podcast. Last time we were in Psalms together, we told the story of Absalom betraying his father David by planning to kill the king and take his throne. We titled that message from Psalm 3, Trusting in the Lord to Save. And we learned that no plan against the Lord's anointed would succeed, and David was kept by the power of God. This week we enter Psalm 4, and many have paired together these two psalms, Psalm 3 and Psalm 4, saying that the same backstory flows into each place from 2 Samuel 15 through 19. Whether this is true or not, the psalm doesn't specify, as Psalm 3 did in its heading, that this was the backstory. There is no doubt this is written by David, who learned to trust in the Lord to save him, and he demonstrates in these words an extension of that trust, or what we're going to call today, confidence in the Lord. You may have heard the old adage, trust is not given, trust is earned. And while we have no reason to ever doubt God, many times people do until they see his tender care, his faithful love, and they gain a sense of security and a level of confidence in him. And once we reach a place of confidence in the Lord, trust becomes second nature, or should I say, a part of our spiritual norm. So I ask you, do you have confidence in the Lord today? David has written a piece of music to express his confidence in the Lord as the heading to this psalm states, to the chief musician on Neganoth, which is stringed instruments. And this phrase, to the chief musician, will appear 53 times throughout the psalms, pointing us to believe that each of these psalms with this designation is offering instructions to the leader of worship to know how to use the words in praise to God. And while we are not commanded to use instruments in worship today, we can certainly relate to these words of praise and apply them to our lives. A great point to start with is that the proper response to the Lord and His dealings with us is to set our heart to always praise Him. David's psalm here is his effort to share his heartfelt confidence in God. Let us begin by looking at verses 1 and 2. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Selah. The first thing that we learn from this passage in verses 1 and 2 is that our confidence is connected to past experiences in prayer. David asked the Lord to answer his prayers, but he adds that he had experienced relief from distress in the past. And this former answer gives him further assurance of another reply. Our request of God to hear our prayers is not because we don't believe that he will answer or that he doesn't already know what we need, but it's rather a deep desire and confidence that he will continue to be what David states is providing relief, and he calls the Lord, O God, of my righteousness. 
Since God is righteous and extends to us His righteousness, He will look favorably on His own and will bless them in reply to their petitions for help. You may recall in the book of James where he teaches us that we have to have this confidence and belief in prayer or we should not expect to receive anything. Our confidence in the Lord allows us to come to Him in full trusting faith. Now, the second thing that we learn from verses 1 and 2 is we are confident that God will be gracious to hear us. We know that God sees and hears all things. The idea of God hearing is not based on Him receiving the message, but is rather hearing and acting on what He hears. It is His reply. And after David addresses God, he then cries out against his accusers who shame him for his past. And he asks this, How long will my honor become a reproach? It is interesting to note here that David appears to still be in prayer and prays to God when he says this. And so David is using God as in mediation to let him hear the accusations that are brought against him from his enemies. He is royalty, and he is being royally maligned by his accusers. Generally, when the question, how long, is asked in prayers of the Bible, is when the one crying out is asking for the Lord to now step in. To ask how long is to express hope in the troubles coming to an end by the hand of God. David wants to know when his past will no longer be held against his future. How many of us have asked this question wanting to know the answer? How can I stop being defined by past failures? How can I rest in the righteousness of God in the midst of my enemies who won't stop their negativity? David was appointed king by the Lord, but when he let his own power go to his head, he sins greatly against the Lord and suffers great consequences as a result. We discussed last time that we studied in Psalms how David sought the Lord in repentance and he was forgiven. It appears that others would not let his past go. But David knows that God is full of grace in spite of what men may say against us. Praise God for his grace and for his willingness to extend his righteousness to us in spite of our many mistakes, no matter how grave they might be. According to David, those who bring up our past will continue to love what is worthless and aim at deception. You may recall Psalm 2 verse 1 where David asked why the people devise vain things and they are in such an uproar. They want to tear the righteous down. They want to remind us of times when we failed and bring us to ruin. How do we overcome them? We pray confidently casting these cares on the Lord, and He hears and answers in His righteousness and loving kindness. Next time that you are made to reflect on the mistakes of your past, go immediately to prayer and praise God for His forgiveness. He said, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. If God forgets, then why are we carrying around that weight? If an enemy makes an accusation, turn to the Lord in his mercy and forget it, just as he has forgotten. He casts our sins far away from us, as far as the east is from the west, and to the extent of the deepest parts of the ocean. And if your mind haunts you with a memory, take it to the throne of grace. You don't have to bear them, because Jesus carried the weight of your sins on the cross. If you are in him, Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You don't have to be forced to relive the regrets and the stains of your former manner of life. You are a new creature and have a new life in Christ. If you are a son or daughter of God, you are royalty. You are exalted by God to be seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Many will mock us as if our faith and hope are in vain. 
Others will try to destroy your honor by making you look bad and speaking evil of you. And when they remind you of your past sins, tell them what Jesus did to redeem you and remind them of their future in hell unless they too find forgiveness and allow the Lord to wash them of their transgressions against God. The world will continue to love worthless things, but we turn to worship and prayer as David did because God is worthy to be praised, and since he is righteous, we can confidently and boldly approach him, and he will respond. These first two verses end with the word selah, and it's used here for us to pause and consider what we have learned thus far, and it was also an instruction for the choir director to start an interlude, perhaps, with stringed instruments. Use this time today to think about how this applies to your life in the Lord. Do you have confidence in your prayers? Do you praise God for his delivery from all of your distresses? Now let's turn to verses 3 and 4. Here we talk about confidence in the Lord to sanctify our life. But know that the Lord, he says, has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. David wants others to know he has been set apart, and that is another word for sanctified as a godly man. David is still building on his former point that since he is dedicated to God and God chose him, therefore his prayers are heard. See Psalm 31, verse 23. You may recall in our last sermon in Psalms, David stated that even while he was running for his life as the Lord's anointed, God heard him from his holy hill. This makes it clear that in order to be able to approach God, we must belong to the Lord and have clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, be sanctified. David is not arrogantly claiming to be godly, but in comparison to his enemies, he has been cleansed from his sins and God still considers him a man after his own heart. We don't bank on our own righteousness, but the Lord imputing righteousness to us through Jesus Christ. He sets us apart. Sanctification is more than just being set apart, though. We are set apart for a holy calling. David was doing all that he could to live according to the will of God, in spite of his many setbacks. And when God sanctifies us, he is also preparing us for service. We are to be holy as he is holy, but this requires a new calling in life. That call of the gospel compels us to live each and every day for the Lord. The advice of David is tremble, another word is be angry, and do not sin. Meditate in your heart on your bed and be still. David admonishes his enemies, according to some translators, that they can be angry if they want to, they can tremble, but they should not sin. The sin David is advising against is coming against the Lord's anointed to attempt to harm him, which is ultimately a sin against God. These words are perhaps what Paul had in mind when he said these exact words in Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. The real meaning here is that if you are angry and rising up against the godly, you had better tremble instead of be angry, because you will not only come up against the godly one, but against our God. Amen? God is to be approached with fear and awe. And if you are angry with the righteous, it is better to keep it in check, because you are starting something that you cannot finish. You will be met with the resistance of the God of heaven and earth, and no man can stand against him. So David is not encouraging his enemies to be angry, but if they are in a state of rage, to vent it off somewhere else, or they will be met with destruction from God. They will fall into the trap of the evil one in sin. 
Now David adds that these enemies of his should meditate in their hearts on their bed and be still. To move against the godly is foolishness. The best thing they could do is go back home and go to bed and calm down. The close of the day when we climb into bed is an ideal time to reflect on the events in our life and think over our actions. The godly were already told to meditate both day and night on the word of God in Psalm 1. David found that his bedtime was the best place to think about the Lord, Psalm 63, 6-11. Being in bed in the silence of the night isolates us to be able to focus more clearly. It is a great time to pray. And while David thinks about God on his bed, the wicked are to ponder their sinful ways and relent, lest they enter into further sin and punishment from God. The teaching here is to be still. In the still of the night, the godly can draw near to God without the distractions of the hustle and bustle of the day. In the same manner, these enemies of David and of God are instructed not to let the sun go down on their anger and find a way to be redirected before it was literally too late. See Job 33, 14 through 17. Those who are ungodly also need to ponder the things of God and find a way to learn of His will for their lives. It's one thing to avoid sinning, but it is another thing altogether to live for the Lord. And where these sinners once blasphemed God, now they would hopefully believe in Him. While they have withdrawn themselves from godliness for a time, now they approach God and begin to worship Him from the heart. Where they once relied on their own wisdom for direction in life, now they could potentially turn to God in prayer and seek guidance from Him. This is the ultimate goal of our efforts in evangelism. The goal is not to simply stop people from sinning against God, but to help them live a life that is sanctified before Him and filled with worship towards God. Again, the word Selah is used in this portion of the psalm to help us pause and reflect on what we've learned so far. The third and final point that David is going to make in this psalm comes from verses 5 through 8. Confidence in the Lord to bless our worship. He says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, Who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart, more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. You see, when we worship God in holiness, we demonstrate full trust in the Lord's goodness. We praise God because He is worthy of that praise, but also because he is good to the godly. Worship comes from another word, worthship, giving off the idea of how much God is worth to us. He is worthy of everything that we can possibly offer. But we must bring acceptable sacrifices to him. Here these enemies are told to bring a sacrifice of righteousness that would demonstrate their repentance. But they are told to put their trust in him. God is certainly worthy of the offerings of the righteous, but here these enemies are being told to offer sacrifices to pursue righteousness. Those that are at odds with God need to bring Him the sacrifice commanded in His word for their sins. And our sacrifices today are not those of the old covenant, but of the new covenant in Christ. In fact, the sacrifice of sin was paid in full by God through Jesus Christ. We bring the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God. We give on the first day of each week to help us do kingdom work. We give of our time and energy to bless others. And because of the mercies of God given to us, we give love and offer ourselves daily on the altar of service in worship. In turn, He gives us good things to enjoy, and He desires the praise of those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. While many skeptics continue to ask, 
Who will show us any good? We who are the children of God already know the answer. God is good all the time. And we are living in a troublesome time where it seems that everywhere you turn, there is some negative headline speaking of the evils that exist in the world. People are turning away from God and His Word. It's as if the world has become completely hopeless. And you can almost look into the eyes of people today and hear their hearts cry. When will something good come my way? And the answer is found in this passage. David shows us in prayer that we need to ask the Lord to lift up the light of his countenance in this dark world over us and plead with him to make himself known in every place. After we have meditated on the Lord in the night, we are asking him to shine on us as in the new morning light. This could be reminiscent of the prayer offered to bless the people of God in Numbers chapter 6, 24 through 26. Listen carefully. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ must be carried into the entire world and shared with the lost and the brokenhearted, the lowly, and those desperate for change. This is the only hope that we can offer. The deterioration of morality in society is becoming more and more obvious on a daily basis. Jesus is the light of the world, but he now shines through you and me as we tell of his love wherever we go. It's time for the church to bring a message of hope and joy and peace to the world. And the outcome of confidence in the Lord through worship is abundant blessings. David expressed that God has put gladness in his heart. While men everywhere are seeking for happiness, David didn't find it by himself. God gave him gladness, which came from a friendship and fellowship with God. We will never know joy until we know the Lord. This means that in the midst of doubters, skeptics, and blatant sinners against us, we can express confidence in the Lord and find gladness and overcome the chaos that we see surrounding us. By our confidence in the Lord and in receiving His blessings, we can be a testimony to others in our faithfulness and gratitude. Gladness will never be found in what the world offers, whether it be possessions, positions, and passing pleasures, but we can confidently sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And when someone says, where? We can remind them that it is in our hearts, and God put it there. David states that the gladness that he feels in his heart in the Lord is greater than when the wine and grain are available in abundance. Again, these perishable and consumable things will never match the everlasting joy of imperishable fellowship with the Lord. We are filled up by God, though. David has more blessings by possessing the Lord than in a harvest filled with grapes to press to make new wine and plentiful grain to mill to make bread. And we know that the grain and wine season was a jubilant one amongst God's people because it was a symbol of prosperity and blessing. And David says that experiencing joy in the Lord far outweighs an overflowing vat of wine and flour to make many loaves of bread. And these two are blessings from God, but the greatest blessing is seeking Him first, and the daily sustenance is ours to enjoy. Clearly, the good that people are seeking and the peace they desire does not come from the abundance of our possessions, but from being in a spiritual fellowship with God. David is so confident in the Lord that he finds a way to lie down and to sleep. He doesn't go to bed and stare at the ceiling with his mind racing. 
He doesn't roll around and become restless. He's not up two or three times a night pacing the floor with anxiety. He is at peace in sleep and explains, For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. That is confidence in the blessings of the Lord, and David worships God for his goodness toward him in this psalm. God alone. We cannot expect to find peace and safety in anyone or anything besides him. We mentioned last time when we studied in Psalm 3 that David was able to find perfect rest even while his son Absalom was trying to kill him. You see, once you trust in the Lord to save you, and he does, you can confidently say that God is your helper and man cannot harm you no matter what plans are made to ruin your life. Even if the enemies that we mentioned earlier decided not to go settle down on their bed at night and extinguish their wrath, David wasn't worried. If God has been faithful in protecting you before, he will do it over and over again. It doesn't mean that every day is going to be filled with pleasant circumstances. God promises to see us through and be our safe haven from whatever we face. Rest in him completely. Jesus promised a rest for our souls that comes from our willingness to trust and follow him. This last section of the psalm does not end with Selah, as we have been accustomed to up to this point. This lack of Selah at the close of this psalm could be a way to express that there is nothing left to play, there's nothing left to sing, and there's nothing left to say. Once we are confident in the Lord to find safety, we rest and we live in that level of complete trust in him. Are you confident in the Lord in prayer, sanctification, and worship? David has given us much to think about, but no confidence can be had in the Lord until we have learned to fully trust in Him. Are you a Christian? If not, I would love to assist you in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please reach out to me and let me know. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to repent of my sins. I want to confess His good name as Lord of my life, and I want to be baptized into Christ. If that is your wish... I will either help you myself or get you connected with a good church in your area that can assist you in doing those things, and then you can walk with the Lord. If you are a child of God, how is your prayer life? Have you been living a holy, sanctified life, or is there some sin that is keeping you from your faithful walk with the Lord? Have you been honoring the Lord by living in His service of worship every day? There's no better way to get back into a right relationship with the Lord than to confess your faults and to allow me to pray with you for that forgiveness, or I can get you connected with other Christians that can do that with you. This is a true demonstration of confidence in the Lord to answer and bless you. Please let me know how I can help you in your spiritual walk with the Lord. I would love to do that. Reach out to me by email or contact me through the website, and I'll be glad to assist. Thank you for listening. Have you visited the Netcast podcast store yet? This is going to provide you with a place to get your Netcast merch. At the same time, you will be supporting the Netcast podcast with a portion of your purchase and securing an opportunity to talk about the faith that we share together on this podcast. Click the shop link to learn more at netcasthost.com forward slash shop. Thank you for your support in advance. In season six titled Psalms of Life, I have a special offer that is connected with the series in the book of Psalms. If you partner with Netcast during our sixth season, I want to send you the complete outline for the studies, but I will also be including the supplemental PowerPoint slideshows to guide you in your study. If you want to become a partner or make a donation, you can send PayPal donations using netcasthost at gmail.com or visit patreon.com forward slash netcast to learn more about how you can get on board with this podcast. 
I have also added this podcast to buymeacoffee.com forward slash netcast host, where you can send a small gift of any amount to help support the show. Thank you in advance. If you are not able to support this ministry effort financially at this time, would you please consider doing one of the following? First, please subscribe and continue to be a dedicated listener. Next, please share Netcast with your friends and family and encourage them to subscribe. Finally, consider leaving a review for the podcast so that your positive feedback could encourage others to listen. Take a few moments after we sign off today to visit our website at netcasthost.com. Here you will find transcripts of the podcast on the blog. You can sign up for the free newsletter, become a member, and join Netcast for free, which will give you access to hidden portions of the podcast host site like our members forum and so much more. Don't forget to check out our social media sites on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to like and follow the podcast as we use these sites to keep you current on what is happening at Netcast. Every new episode is announced on these media outlets. Until next time, God bless you richly in Jesus Christ, our Lord.